Returning to the prophecy of Isaiah on the chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. And verse 1. This chapter begins with a debate and a dialogue between Jehovah God and the leaders of the children of Israel who were in the 70 years bondage in Babylon in captivity. If you study the chapters before it and this, especially this, these first verses, they're asking the question repetitively. The same questions that you and I often ask, and many this morning maybe. Where is God? How long must we suffer this, this affliction, humiliation, persecution, When, Lord, will you come and lift the burden from our neck and redeem us and release us and set us free? How long do we fast and mourn and weep and hang our harps upon the willows? How long? These people became critical. obstreperous, impatient, insulting. They began to doubt that he even existed. Have you lost the power of your hand? That power that you displayed in years gone by and redemption and blessings? Are you overcome with weakness that you can't do anything for us? Is your strength failed? Is your ear heavy? Are you dull? Are you deaf? That's what they're saying. You ever talk like that? And like a flash, God thunders back in verse 1. Behold, take notice. There's nothing wrong with my hand and there's nothing wrong with my ear and there's nothing wrong with my strength. The fault doesn't lie with me. Behold, in the, one of Shakespeare's plays when he confronted a man called Brutus, he said, the fault, dear Brutus, lies within thyself. Just as Nathan approached David in his sin and evil, thou art the man. Just as Ahab, as Elijah said to Ahab, 
I don't trouble Israel. Thou art he that troubleth Israel and your fathers. Don't be blaming me for the famine and for the problems and for the trials. But you're to blame. Look at verse 2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Now watch this how many times your, your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Your hands, your fingers, your lips, your tongue. Seven times he uses the word you and two times you. Here's the problem. Hear from the word of God this morning. He goes on to describe why he is not working and why he is not moving and why he's not reviving and why he's not releasing. Pride and lies in verse 4. Get your eyes on 4. Murder and iniquity in verses 6 and 7 and lust. No peace, no justice in 8 and 9 are light. Verse 10 and 11, grope in darkness, roar and growl like angry wolves and mourn like a dove. What a catalog. If you want to know, he's saying the reason that you're in captivity and were brought into captivity and kept in captivity, you'll be there to my time's right to take you out. If you wonder... It's all summed up in verse 12. Your transgressions, your iniquities, your sin and your rebellion. Now my dear friends this morning, if we want an answer why there's no storing of the Holy Spirit, why with all the praying and all the preaching there's little or no souls being really convicted and born again by the Spirit of God, there's an odd false profession. And if you want to know the answer to this, that all the meetings and all the campaigns and all the conferences and all the outreaches and all the tracts and all the CDs and all the DVDs and all the PhDs, the answer lies within the Word of God and the scores of Scripture to back this statement up. Our sins and our iniquities have separated and driven him out. And like the boy that lost the axe head with Elisha, he was hammering away with the shaft and the power was gone. It was in the bottom of the Jordan. We're hammering away. No power. I want to say this morning, and I'm to blame myself, it's high time that we stop blaming the politicians. And it's high time that we stop blaming world governments or global warming or the National Health Service or the unions or the Muslims or the Sodomites. They're all on a collision course with God. The fact is that God has turned his face away from the church. When will we ever get a hold of that? He says, I will return to my place until... Hosea says, until they repent. There's no much sign of repentance. Many ask, why has God not showed up in my situation, in my sickness, in my trial, in my home, in my family, in my church? 
okay, there is, there is testing, there is trial, there is chastening. That's all part of our life and goes on in our life. But maybe there's a few things that needs to be straightened personally, financially, morally, and spiritually before we can expect God to work. Look at verse 16. God says, And he saw that there was no man. I want to say this morning, honestly before you, that this verse shook me to the very core. Not this week, but last week. And I'm saying that because I had this message prepared. Partly, most of it prepared before the young man preached last Lord's Day and before Stephen played what he played in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And I'm not too proud to say that it broke me, challenged me, shamed me, wounded me. The Almighty God scans the horizon in a situation and a crisis that was severe. And he says there's no man. The awful state of the nation in the perilous hour. He says there's no man. Oh, there's plenty of men. There's plenty of good, honest, faithful men. There's plenty of men in the economy of the Lord. There's plenty of men in the old economy to light candles and wash basins and kill sacrifices and sing psalms. But he never wondered at that. And my friend, he never wonders that there's nobody to give out tracts. He never wondered that there was no missions and nothing much happening at meetings. He never wondered that there was no Sunday school teachers or those to play the music or those to visit the sick or those to cook the burgers. Never wondered at that. He wondered, and this is an awful word, this wondered you're going to see in a minute. He wondered that there was no intercessor. He never wondered there was no priests or no elders or no deacons or no members or no churches. He wondered that there was nobody that caught the vision and was pleading and wrestling and fasting and weeping over the state of the nation and the state of the church and society. He wondered. Now that word wondered means if you look it up in the Hebrew, you'll get a, I'll tell you, you'll get your ear full. It means to be stunned, devastated, astonished, amazed, horrified. Boy, when I saw that, I, I, I broke me. It was the same word used in Job when he was in the midst of his devastation and, 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 and trials and sickness and problem. He put his hand over his mouth. He was speechless. That's the same. He put his hand. He couldn't say anything. 
God can't figure out and he can't come to grips here that the greatest weapon that he had given to the church and he had given to Israel in these days to combat and to counteract the devil's kingdom is not being used. He can't understand it. And all the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation on prayer, he can't understand it. He can't understand why there's such a silence of broken, weeping, fasting people in the crises that we are in today. My friend, it doesn't take much effort to give out a track. It doesn't take much effort to play the music. It doesn't take much effort to take a Sunday school class. And thank God for all that do and travel. But to weep and to fast and to reveal in sackcloth and ashes over the state of your loved ones, your family that are not saved and going to an eternal hell is a different thing. In 1983, in the early 1980s, the 88, I conducted a lot of missions in Fermanagh. In the lifeboat hall, the wee portable hall before it came here. We're in a primitive area one day, away outside Fymel Town, away up in the hills. We're at an out farm. And behind the old shed of the out farm, there was a one-horse plough. Many of would never know what a one-horse plough is. Never seen, i never seen a horse ploughing. I had horses, my father, i never seen one plough. But I put my hand into the shaft of that plough. And there was an old fellow watching me. And I said, it must have been an awful job to follow that plough. And follow a horse that has shook the guts out of you. He says it would. But he says, what will I tell you? The praying men of Fermanagh would have rather go after a plough all day than spend a day in prayer and fasting and interceding. That's why Ivan Foster told me on one occasion, he says, Bertie, in the 60s and in the 70s, there was a mini revival in Fermanagh. He was saved. He's a Fermanagh man. And there was a sweep of souls through Fermanagh. Pat and I are two of them. There was dozens of them. There were scores of them in the 60s and in the 70s. There was a mini revival in Fermanagh. Why? Because men were praying. And weeping. Oh, for an intercessory church. Oh, for the Jacobs that will pray all, pray all night and the Daniels that will pray for days and Hannah for weeks and Elijah who will not give up until it comes. How he must be grieved. Now, you have to take what comes from my heart this morning. How he must be grieved at the many who never darken the prayer meeting door of the church. A new church year started on Wednesday night. Many absent. I thank God for every worker in this church. But I can't see how ye can take part 
in any service of the church if you're not in some or all of the prayer meetings. It's not on. Hear that, Sunday school workers, Friday night workers? Music, not on. It's not only that it's not on, it's not right. How can we instruct children on the Word of God and we're not obeying the Word of God in the prayer meeting? Not on now. Why people are not at prayer meetings, I don't know. But there's one reason that I do know. They have no desire, no appetite, no hunger. No hunger. Oh, may God give us praying people. I thank God for the remnant who held on over the summer. I do honestly thank God for them. Monday and Wednesday night, 30 and 40 people. Two men traveled Monday and Wednesday night from Newry. Some from Antrim. Some from South Armagh. Some from Oma. One woman with six children. And time, and how they get time, I don't know, to be in the prayer meeting. I don't know. We need, in this hour, and you're going to hear in a moment now as we come down to the close, we need in this crisis hour to stand together. This is what happened at AI. They thought they were going to take AI and they just sent a few men up and the rest of them didn't bother because they had the victory at Jericho. And a few men went up, but a few men were beaten, and they lost men, and the whole thing was a shambles. And God said to Josh, you get up of your belly and stop praying and start asking what's wrong. We need to all go together against the foe. It's too serious, my friend. We're in an awful crisis, and it's getting worse. This is my opening message to the church. Now, wouldn't you have thought when God saw that there was no intercessor that he would abandon the whole thing? But he didn't. Look at verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no answer. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness is sustained in him. For he put on the righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance of clothing, and was glad with the zeal of Hitler. You know what he's saying? If you don't put the armor on, I'm going to put it on. Because he had a covenant promise with his people. If you don't put on the armor and come out into the fight and the battle, I'm going to do it. And he did. And he trod the wine press alone. And he wrought victory. And only for that victory you wouldn't be here this morning. Nor would I. Nor would the men in Fermanagh have anything to pray about. 
Isn't that mercy? Isn't that grace? Isn't that love? His arm, his righteousness, his power. He says, I'll use, I'll work. Now he lands in verse 19. Here is our text. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. We'll deal with that in a wee moment. Here it is. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. Now note there, there's a time. There's a time. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. One of the old Puritans, Dr. Jill, hundreds of years ago, and not often the Puritans refer to the end times, said that this is for the latter time of the church. And in fact, he said it's the spirit of Antichrist that's going to work in the last days. Whenever the church is brought to her lowest level, Whenever sin and iniquity is abounding in a way that it never bound before, there's a time when God will step forth. Now, Tim spoke last Sunday, and the hour has come. I tell you, the minute has come. It is a minute to midnight. Truth has fallen in the streets, if you read this passage, right? Truth has fallen in our homes and in our schools and in our churches. And equity, it says here, cannot enter. Truth and righteousness cannot get in. Because there's no prayer. Praying men. There's a time. Now here, there's a tide. It comes in like blood. And I'm sure if you turn on your television tomorrow or any other day, you'll still see Pakistan. 33 million people displaced. Up on 2,000 lives lost. With a cascading flood that none of them ever thought was going to come, sweeping all before it. He's saying, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I will lift up. I have named the hurricane storm. Well, the rest of them are naming storms. I have a right to name one too. And of all these fancy names of women and men for storms that's coming, where they get them, I don't know. But I have a name for the storm that we're in the midst of in the morning, this morning. Storm Lucifer. Look at verse 19 again. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against who? Him. Him. We're not talking about the governments. We're not talking about politicians. We're not talking about global warming. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about the devil. Him. 
I want you just to see that this morning. See what the Lord is saying to you here. He says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, will lift up a standard against him. Now, that's our hope this morning. That's our only hope this morning. Him. says in Revelation, the devil has come down in, the, in great wrath, for he knows that the time is short. Do you not hear the hoofbeats of the apocalypse? Well, read Revelation 6, and there's four horsemen coming riding in. They're on the way. The four horsemen of the apocalypse in the tribulation when the church goes, the horsemen are on the way now. Deception, disease, famine and death. Now when does the flood come? It comes when God can take no more. Now hold tight. The flood will come when the fields are saturated and the rivers are full and the streams are full. And the whole flood of rain, it rained from 3 o'clock this morning to 6 o'clock without stopping. And all day yesterday. If that were to go on and on and on and on, the fields would be full, the rivers starting to come up already, the rivers would be full, the streams would be full. If God would just let that go on and on and on, I tell you, we'd drive to prayer if we could get a place to pray in. We'd have to go into some loft. When it's saturated, God is saturated. God is over the edge. His cup of iniquity is full. The flood has burst forth. Now, my friend, that the floodgates and the decks and the sandbags will not stop this. Our sandbags of doctrine, of singing, of clapping, of starting new churches will not stop this flood of iniquity. And shame on the churches that never went back in, for they should never have went out after COVID. Shame on them who never have a prayer meeting. Shame on the pastors and the ministers who never call their church to prayer and fasting. Shame on you, boy. Living on the fat of the land. I'll tell you there's a day of judgment coming. God's looking for men in the crisis hour. Not puppets. Not people trying to please their congregation. He's looking for men. The mighty roar of the flood. Boy, the evil, immoral, wicked flood. My friend... Lucifer's flood, you can hear it, you can feel it, you can smell it.
The first lockdown I preached with me back to the door of this church, out there on that brick, I was afraid to look back in case Coroni would jump on top of me. And we're all out in the car park on the first lockdown. Which if I had to do again and our men would do again, we would have never went out. And I preached that day on Psalm 78 and verse 48, a hot thunderbolt from heaven. And I said, this epidemic is a thunderclap from heaven to the church. And we were out there and I preached out there and the park was full of cars and a young disabled fellow got out to go into the toilet with no mask on him and I was tackled afterwards. That fellow should never have got out of the car. He should have had a mask on him. Well, let me tell you what Liz Thrust said the other day. She said, she said we should have never closed the schools and we will not have another lockdown. We told them that. You listen to how many people will say we are not going to get any more vaccinations for we have seen too many people dying and sick as a result. We told them that. But then all they could do was criticize. In the last three years, the floods of have swept through our homes and our schools and our workplaces. And it sickens me just to hear more than a thousand children a week. And I walked through a town there some weeks ago and every ten yards there was a basket with flowers in it. And you know what was on the top of the basket with the flowers and silence? Save the bumblebee. And I suppose to nod and laugh at that. Are you? The enemy has come in like a flood from December 19. And unless the Lord lifts the standard against him in revival power, we're in for it. But we have a hope. Because there's not only the time here and the tide here, there's the tidings here. There's the good news. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shall lift up a standard against him. That word standard is the word banner. It's the flag. It's the ensign. And the military word for the colors. Hoist the colors. Hoist the banner. Hoist the flag. You see, the whole trinity is involved in this in verse 19. There's the Lord Jehovah. And then there's the Spirit of the Lord. And then there's the banner. And the banner is the Redeemer, for you have the Redeemer in the next verse. Verse 10, and the Redeemer shall come. So the whole trinity is behind. How can we lose, my friend? How can we lose? 
You don't tell me that if we could get crying and praying and travailing men and women two or three nights a week into this place. And I'll tell you something else that we're thinking of doing maybe before very long. is closing the Sunday night meetings and praying. If you want to go and listen to somebody, go somewhere else. This is serious. This is the only hope. This is the only answer. This is the weapon that God has given to us. He says, I wonder, I'm devastated that they're not using it all summer. Nobody bothered. This is a word for you this morning. You do what you like with it. Once I get off this pulpit, I'm given the word he gave me a fortnight ago before any of these men spoke. The banner is Christ, the Redeemer, Jehovah Nissai, the banner. And whenever they defeated the Amalekites, do you remember? Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron and Hur were up on the mountain praying, and Joshua was in the valley, and he was in the battle, and every time they lifted up Moses' hand, the battle won, and when the hands came down, the battle ceased. But as they held up, they put a stone on them, and they held up his hand, and as he prayed, as he interceded, he, Joshua defeated the Amalekites, and when he defeated the Amalekites, he raised the banner up, and he called it Jehovah Nissai. Christ the banner. The old Amalekites come in behind them. When they were going up, do you know the story? He come in behind them and attacked the women and the children. He is one of the most dirtiest foes that Israel ever faced. The dirtiest. Come in behind for the women and children. He's coming for the women and children. He's coming into the schools. Friends, he's coming into the schools and into the homes. You're not allowed now to rebuke your child. Never mind smack your child. And we are going to put up with this. We're going to nod our head when they come home with books about transgenders. We're going to nod our head. No, we're not. We are going to cower when the, when the sodomites stand up. No, we're not. And they're abominable sins. No. We're to flee. Will we run? When the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The psalmist said, shall we flee like a bird to the mountain? No, sir. The foundations are being destroyed. And it's up to you and I. Because the problem lies with us. Now, one thought as it close. See in verse 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion and unto them that Turn from their transgression. That's repentance. That's who he's going to come to. Those that turn from their transgressions. So there's a call here to repent. Oh, I don't know what I've done. Sure, I've done nothing. Well, yes, Stephen has a CD for you, a short CD for you. That boy said... Oh, it's all right saying, Lord, Lord, uh, uh, I don't think I have done nothing. Go in before the Lord and sit in the presence of the Lord long enough till he shows you. Let him show you. Let him speak to you. Let him tell you of the sin in your life. 
If I showed me things, I must admit he has showed me things in these last weeks. He says here in verse 20, repent. Once you repent and turn from your sin, I'll make a covenant with thee. That's what it says. You read that my spirit will come upon thee and my word shall not depart from thy mouth. And four times you get the word mouth. And what's the number of times you get the word seed, seed, seed? The word will not return to him void that cometh forth from his mouth. Now stop praying in the prayer meeting or in any other meeting. Hammer out just the same old scripture, the same old, the Lord, the word will not return unto you void. If that word's not from the mouth of God, it will return void. And how many words are going out from pulpits and out from our own pulpit, maybe, that are not words from the mouth of God. They have to come from the mouth of God. And they can't come from the mouth of God if there's sin in our lives, friends. They can't. And then I'll begin to move. Screw your, screw your eyes up again until, until verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord. From the west. Oh, the west is first. And then the east. Do you see that in the verse? You usually get the east first for the rising of the sun, the east. But here it's the west first. Now you say, Bertie, you're going to read stuff into this this morning. And you don't, you don't worry what Bertie reads in anything into. All I know is that God is going, the Holy Spirit is going to be lifted up some of these days. The banner is going to be lifted up. What is this banner? This banner is Christ. And listen, when we lift up atonement, lift up redemption, lift up justification, lift up the old truth of the gospel, the blood, the blood, the blood, the bloodstained banner of the cross, we get in behind the gospel of the cross and leave all the other stuff and say, Lord, you died for me. You rose again for me. You're mighty. You're able to deliver. You're able to save. We hold Calvary forth. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. When we begin to do that and see that, my friend, will come and move from the west. That's what Duncan Campbell saw in the vision in Joe Kerr's house in Lisbon. Didn't you hear someone talking about it lately? Was it Alan? He was upstairs praying. And Joe was downstairs. And he came down and he said, Joe, did you see something? Oh, he said, I did. The clock got fierce, loud and ticking and the grass started to get green outside. He says, God's after showing me that the revival's coming. It's going to start in Ireland. In fact, in one of the books, he says, it's going to start in Cork. I believe that. And I'll tell you why I believe Duncan Campbell, what he said. Because he prophesied the same thing 
about the revival in Canada and Saskatoon. The same time. He says there's a revival coming to Canada and it's coming to Saskatoon. I went away and got the Saskatoon revival. Boy, I'll tell you some reading. How suddenly God moved into two converted Catholics, the Sestura twins, went to do a mission. They didn't know what Duncan Campbell had said. The two Sestura twins brought up with a single mother in a wee, wee small apartment in New York City. And the mother was up in the loft one day, Catholics. Mother was up in the loft one day and she came across a Bible. And she brought it down and she started reading it. And the two boys got saved. And if you want to put them up, there's one of them, maybe at least one of them still living. Oh, yes. God, God's word. And it'll start from the west and it'll come up to the east, Belfast and Bangor and Nard, it'll sweep through Ireland and we're going to have an Irish revival. Uh, a lot of you don't believe it. Not biddy. That's why I never like to miss the prayer I want to be there. And boy, I'll tell you, was some days there not long ago and the presence of God was so real. Some person said to me, he says, I can't wait until Wednesday night to get back. <laughs> I can't wait to win need to get away. There it is. That's the word the Lord laid in my heart. From the west to the east, from the east to the west. You can get no further distance. He's going to lift. We are going you see, he has, the whole trinity is here. But he can't do it without us. Because that's what he said. In verse 20, when you repent, I'll move through you. Will you be the one? You could be the man or the woman this morning that would be a harbinger for revival blessing in this land. You could be sitting in this pew this morning. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I don't have to tell you, he's in. The Holy Spirit, the mighty Holy Ghost, the Creator. The Holy Spirit, your dearest friend. You know, the Holy Spirit is my dearest friend. Do you know why? Because he pointed me to Jesus one day. He lifted me out of thousands and he pointed me, a fool like me, to Jesus one day. And he pointed you to him. And he brought the old boat here for you. Oh, blessed Holy Ghost. All we can say is move. And you will move. When we move, let us pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you for helping me, Lord, to deliver this message that was heavy upon my heart. And thank you for those who prayed for me and texted me that didn't know anything about what I was preaching on. Thank you for confirming your word. And Father, we want to praise you this morning that we're not going to lie down under the enemy. We praise you that you're going to work and move. You promised it. Your arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Your ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. Lord, we know that. Blessed Holy Spirit, blessed Father, blessed Son, blessed Gospel, blessed blood of Jesus, have thine own way. Have thine own way.